Welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavel Villalobos. Hello, everyone. This is Havo, your host of Curating Crypto. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our partners at FOMO Hunt, the Pulse of Crypto. Discover events, data, news jobs, and more at FOMOHunt.com. On this episode, we have a digital artist who dropped his business career in the U.S. and relocated to Mexico with one main objective, to make art that wakes people up to the potential for Bitcoin and crypto to change our world for the better. Lucho has a master's in science of finance from Florida International University in Miami. And despite a successful career in business intelligence, went full-time into the art of graphic design and digital illustration, devoting himself to the crypto art and propaganda project known as Hotel Crypto. Without further ado, please welcome Lucho Paletti. Hi, Lucho. Welcome to the show. Hi, Pavo. How are you? Doing great, man. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. You're one of the artists that I've been following for quite some time. It's been really cool to watch your evolution as an artist and to see that your work is as strong as ever. It's very pleasing. Cool, man. Well, thank you. Um, and likewise, I think, uh, I mean, you've only had three episodes so far, but I think they've been great. I've loved uh, the flow of them. And I, myself as an artist in the space, have been like really not only entertained by them, uh, but a lot of good info that came from the other artists like uh, Trevor, Coley, and, and Brecky. It was really good. Great work on that. Excellent. I'm really happy that as an artist, you say this. After getting to know and basically build relationships with some of these artists in crypto, I realized there was a lot of opportunity, not only in the education part of it, but also in the propagation of the message and showcasing some of the very talented artists in crypto. So it's great to hear that you not only find it entertaining, but also valuable. Yeah, definitely. I think we had a, a big need for something like this to, to increase awareness about crypto art in general. Awesome, man. That's great to hear. So, Lucho, could you tell us about your background? I'm not sure if a lot of our listeners are aware, but you do have a background in finance and you have gone through this very interesting transformation that ultimately led back to art. Is it okay if you walk us through this? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I am from Miami, Florida. And in Miami, I went to Florida International University, which is a state school in, in Miami. And uh, I studied finance there. I actually got my, my master's in, in science of finance, which involves a lot of financial modeling and, uh, you know, calculating stock prices and bond yields and, and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of financial markets. Um, from there, I actually, I, I ended that program. Um, got my degree and did CFA uh, level one, which is like one of the, it's basically like the top designation for a financial analyst. A lot of the people who go to, to Wall Street, uh, they'll, they'll do three years of CFA and, uh, and they'll get that designation. So I was going down that road and uh, I really, I started thinking more about how the banking system works. And, you know, I started feeling really bad about it. I started feeling really bad about the direction my life was going in, you know, kind of being a part of this system that I didn't believe in, you know, so I, I understood it very well, um, but I felt like I really didn't want to, to be a part of that. So what I did for my career was I, I went into consumer goods. Um, I actually worked for Pernod Ricard, which is a, a liquor company, a French liquor company. 
Um, they have brands like Absolute Vodka, Chivas, Jameson, etc. So I was doing financial models for them, um, you know, other consumer goods companies afterwards. And basically, I didn't find happiness in that career. Um, you know, there was there was plenty of challenge. You know, if, if you want to apply yourself in the corporate workplace, there's plenty of challenge and things to keep you, um, you know, engaged. But I felt and I, I think it's maybe it's strong language, but I felt like I was dying inside. Um, there's a child in me that was a painter, actually. Um, I painted acrylics. I, I did landscapes, um, portraits, things like that. And I was taking acrylic courses and sketching courses since I was like six until uh, until elementary school. And, um, you know, that part of me who, who liked creating, um, painting, drawing, wasn't having much of a creative outlet at all. So what I did was I, I saved up some money. I quit my first job. I moved to Austin, Texas, and uh, I just plugged myself in with our community there. So I started talking to street artists and I started, you know, looking at more art. And I thought, you know what? I have ideas. You know, I have things I feel passionate about. You know what? I'm going to start. So what I did was I started with uh, Adobe Illustrator and I, I learned, you know, like I, I took courses online. Um, I taught myself what I needed to learn to, to do the basics. And I set up, you know, social accounts and I started, you know, creating art and sharing it. And basically from there, it became, you know, a process of maturing, um, you know, as I had continued my, my education uh, in school. I had started this transition into digital illustration, communication design. I, I became very interested in the subject of propaganda, how to use that in conjunction with artwork to really impact, like make an impact in whoever saw the, the images. So during my time in Austin, I spent a lot of time in isolation, like in, in pure isolation. I lived by myself. I started studying art, um, learning how to create it. And I spent a lot of time my, with myself. And I feel like during that time, I had a sort of psychological rebirth where, you know, I started to confront like my own shadow self, like, like who, who am I really like without this uh, social persona that I had, a certain status that I thought I had that now I had foregone to, to pursue um, a creative life. As a former Austinite, I know Austin is a very eclectic city. There is a great abundance of live music and performing arts. How do you think this influenced your decision-making and ultimately your journey? Yeah, so, I mean, the art is just so ubiquitous in Austin. It's everywhere you look, you know, like every, every light pole, every post, every corner, every, you know, electricity box, everything there is covered with street art or you have you know, actual art galleries and things like that, the music scene and everything. So, I mean, there's inspiration everywhere. Um, I was always walking around in Austin and, and taking it all in, you know, and, and it did really give me that feeling of like, hey, you know, all these people are here doing this, creating what they want to create and putting it out into the world, like physically putting it on the street. And uh, it was a big inspiration for me, you know. If I would have stayed there, I probably would have gotten more heavily into street art 
uh, and actually applying it on the streets as opposed to creating it and sharing it uh, primarily digitally. But uh, but yeah, living in Austin was really it kind of like put a put a, a bigger fire kind of under me to to create to create and share. Very interesting. The other thing that I wanted to ask you is, it seems that at some point you decided to put art to the side from that kid that was painting portraits and landscapes, and then eventually decided to embark in a career in finance. Why did this happen? Was it more because at some point you decided art wouldn't give you a sustainable way of living, or was it more social pressure? Understanding that in Miami, it's a lot about who you are and who you know. Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, I think, like you said, who who you are, who you know, your your social status. I even think I'd like to add what you have. You know, like your your material possessions is like a big thing uh, for people down there. You know, what kind of car you drive, um, what does your house look like, things like this. You know, right. so um, that definitely um, had an impact on me. I think basically the story is that you know being an artist is not a way to make a great living, you know? So I actually was in a band at, at the time when I, I, I did, I, I played drums. Okay. So okay. I was, I was in a metal band, uh, like a punk rock metal band at the time starting college. And when you start college, you, you get that, okay, what should I do? What, what do I major in? So, Oh, I like strategy. I like, money <laughs> you know it's like these things that you these kind of ideas okay well i guess i'll go to school for business and then two years go by and you need to declare a major okay i guess i'll do finance then because that surely is a good way to make money so i think my decisions at that point were socially pressured and kind of guided you know by my parents who who just wanted me to be secure right so Lucho, take us back to your time in Austin. You were in the process of transforming your belief system, if you want to call it that, where you are finding yourself in a position where you're not happy with the corporate life that you've had, and you're trying to establish your next step. Can you take us to that time? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I did put my career on hold to move to Austin and pursue a form of entrepreneurship that I wasn't sure was going to... I didn't have a plan at the time exactly, right? So my, my thing was I was very unhappy at the current state of working my job. And I wanted to move somewhere where I felt a lot of good energy and I wanted to start something, you know? So I, I went with that open mind and, and it became art very quickly within the first couple of weeks uh, of moving there where, where that kind of set in. So with that said, um, there was a progression though, you know, you can't, wake up one day and say, okay, well, I'm going to awaken the, the inner child, the artist inside and, and start producing, you know? So, so there was a process there. Um, it started as something much less serious, you know, than it is today. Um, I started with a lot of memes, uh, using memes and, and kind of bringing my graphics and ideas into them. Um, then I decided, you know, I, I need to take this to the next level and started making more politically fueled uh, images, you know? So that's where I started drawing from a lot of the, the influence from Shepard Ferry and, and other artists like that. And this is pre-Bitcoin? This is, this is prior to Bitcoin. Okay. Completely. Yeah. So I started doing that, um, 
more illustration, more, you know, graphic design. I was, you know, trying to try new techniques out and different styles within within that propaganda style just to to get learn the ropes so to speak and kind of uh and form like a, a body of work with my first art project there um and more than that was like kind of experiencing that of being what i would call and i'm going to use these hand quotation signs uh, or imaginary the professional artist um which is uh from a book Stephen Pressfield, um, who's the author of, I believe, the, the Legend of Bagger Vance. Are you familiar with Stephen Pressfield? Yes, I'm familiar. He writes a book called The War of Art, which is like a play on words for the art of war. This book is all about how any creative or artist overcomes resistance. So, um, and what's really the most important for an artist who considers themselves a professional, whether they're doing good work or bad work day in and day out is to wake up every day, sit down and do their craft, you know, practice their craft, do their art, create their art. Um, so I did learn, you know, very well then to, to start doing that. You know, I was going to wake up every single day and devote all that time to creating art. Um, now, albeit, I think my case might've been a little extreme because I was isolating myself and doing this like 12 hours per day at least, you know, but, uh, that's, that's what I thought it took. It was going to take to make it at that point. Um, I had dropped my job. I had started creating this artwork and I wanted to make it work. Like I never wanted to go back to, to the corporate life, you know? So, so that's what I did. Um, yeah. And with that said, uh, I, I suffered failure, you know? <laughs> so I, I have to tell you, you know, like, I pursued that. I took the big risk. I moved to another another city, another state. I started doing what I was going to do, and I put everything into it. And, you know, I ran out of time because at that point, when you're doing something like that, you know, your time is a function of how much money do you have saved? You know, how, how far can you go with it? Um, so eventually I had to go and take another job, uh, go back to my career. So that was pretty much i would say that chapter was the chapter of me doing political art um and i ended it there uh, i i started a new job and you know i kept doing it on the side and i kept practicing but i knew it wasn't going to be the same until i could devote myself full time to it again and at that point you had experienced life outside of the corporate world and doing what you like so was it just a matter of time to find your way back to art yeah, definitely. Um, I think more so than just like a, a freedom to to do, you know, a freedom with your time to do what you want to do. Like for me, they're actually the the act of creating something and sharing that and like getting the feedback from people. That really is something special. That's something that really, if it's if it's my creative concept, you know. I put it out there and people react to it and it causes them to feel something, think something, have like a new conversation about something they wouldn't have otherwise like that. That's really where it's at for me. And that when I felt that day in and day out, I knew that that was going to be, that's what I wanted to do with my life. So you're, you've taken a second job now. 
you're doing art on the side. Tell me what happens next. Yeah, so during that time, um, you know, again, it's the, it's the same story with the job. You know, things go well. You start, okay, here's a promotion. Here's this, that. And um, I started getting very involved with the speculative side of cryptocurrencies. So this was um, early 2017 um, was when I got involved with crypto. I had a Coinbase app. I had I had been familiar with Bitcoin, um, used it, you know, here and there. And I started getting more interested in the speculative as aspect of, hey, there's Litecoin now, there's Ethereum. I'm not sure what these things are, but, you know, here they are. And I see their prices going up. So I, I became really interested in that uh, speculative aspect of crypto. And... Um, you know, I got involved. I started investing. I started reading. I hopped on Twitter. Um, I started hopping on Reddit and YouTube and just learning as much. You know, when you go down that rabbit hole, I'm sure you have your own story. Have a, yep. um, but you, you have like this almost insatiable thirst for like, what is this thing all about? And how can I learn enough to, uh, you know, become some kind of an expert and really know what I'm doing here? So so that happened while I was working the job. And you know, towards the end of 2017, anyone who had gotten in earlier in, in crypto obviously had made like a lot of a lot of capital gains, you know, so you kind of you're in a different position, I guess, uh, financially. So that put me in the position where I said, I think I'm ready to take the risk again, you know. So um, I quit my job at uh, January 2018. And I decided to, to go full time into creating the crypto art. And before that, I had actually I'd started designing here and there T-shirt designs, like just stuff to throw up on an Instagram account. Like I started Huddle Crypto. I, I had already picked out like the Instagram uh, account. I started like loading T-shirt designs and stuff like that, kind of just creating the, the look and feel of like some of my early, early stuff. Um, but that was a decision where I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to drop this job. I'm going to start this crypto art project. And, you know, it was pretty much picking up what I had left before, because what I had left before was a lot of political content that had a lot of problems with the banking system, which is drove me to, to start that. And now I felt like I not only had like a problem that I was sharing with the world, like, hey, look, this is wrong, this is wrong. But I actually had a solution to share with the world for the problem that I thought was most important. So I think that crypto and, and Bitcoin are a solution for many of the ills from the banking system and, and fiat money systems in general. Very interesting. And when does the move to Mexico happen? Move to Mexico happened in March uh, 2018. So. Okay. I quit the job and, you know, it's a, it's a process getting rid of all your earthly possessions because, <laughs> you know, when you're moving, I don't know, some people, maybe they like moving everything with them, but uh, I decided to get rid of mostly all my stuff and uh, two big boxes, shipped two big boxes to Mexico and, and that was it. Did you pick a specific city or the kind of went with the flow? How did that work? Yeah, I chose Guadalajara. Um, actually... I had done some traveling with my my 
last job to Monterey and familiarize myself just, you know, with the people, with the culture and liked it a lot and uh, searched online, you know, did my research. And I thought that Guadalajara was was a good city to, to pick. Um, flew in once in January and liked it a lot and uh, moved back, got rid of my stuff and moved in March. ¿Y cómo está tu español? Muy bien, muy bien. Tengo una novia que es mexicana y ella me enseñó mucho. Excellent, you're learning quick. Yeah, man, our first our first date I was uh, Google translating. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. So you said you started in crypto like a lot of people. One of the first apps that was made widely available, which was Coinbase. Before that, it was a bit dodgy. You could buy a peer-to-peer via Gox on Binance and via phone. But with Coinbase, a lot of users started to see these coins that they don't necessarily knew much about, but they saw how they went from $5 to $10 to $20. So the motivation became purely financially driven. So at some point, you start looking past the financial aspect of it and start to investigate the opportunities projects may bring. For example, I was working with a few friends in Colombia on some development, and it was really easy to see that it was very difficult to move money across borders. Do you experience any similar situations when you moved to Mexico? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that third world countries stand the most to benefit from adoption of crypto. Um, basically, the way that I see, that, like to put it, you know, really concisely, is that inflation is basically a hidden tax on people. And if the people really don't understand how it works, they don't, they, they're not upset about it, you know, but they should be upset about it because the, that inflation is devalued. It's directly devaluing the labor that they produce. They, they really don't know this. And uh, the countries like Mexico, Colombia, you know, all of Latin America, you could pretty much say is weaker than the dollar. Uh, not, not just the nominal value, but the inflation rates are higher. And th these currencies are constantly losing. Over a, a long enough period of time, you're, you're looking at it, they're all losing against the dollar, which is also losing against every other hard commodity, right? So I think that third world countries, you know, yes, They, they stand to benefit the most from adoption, just from a use case of like store value. And also, like you say, remittances and, and fees, like this is one of the biggest uh, use cases for money in the world. And uh, crypto is a huge uh, saver for that. Uh, people who are sending, you know, money to, to Venezuela and stuff like that, like if they can do it with Bitcoin, they're going to save a lot of money. And, uh, and get it there in, in much better shape. Venezuela gets a lot of attention due to its economy and how well crypto fits into that story. But I'm assuming there's a lot of countries where the situation is not as dire as in Venezuela and can still benefit from avoiding issues such as inflation and where the pitch for crypto may be different from what we hear in North America. Yeah, you know, it's kind of ironic, but I, I feel like there's such... There, it's so flipped how, how there's a bigger need for cryptocurrency, Bitcoin in a place like in Mexico, there's a, people can stand to benefit more from adopting these technologies, but the awareness is so much lower. 
places like this. Like I make it a point personally, every time I jump in an Uber, most people I talk to, like, you know, people, oh, it's the Bitcoin guy. Like I'm always explaining, like every Uber that I get in, that's more than five minutes. The guy already knows my whole story about why banks are bad, why Bitcoin's good. You know, <laughs> I have like this whole elevator pitch and then some that that I share with all these people and and a lot of them they they take an interest to it but you can really tell like man this is the first time this guy's hearing all this stuff you know so i i think adoption's really lo- like even credit card adoption is low here like everyone uses cash still you know so so it is interesting um you know i have a lot of work to do here i'll, I'll tell you that when I see your art, there is a propaganda aspect that you fit in really well into your design. In terms of propaganda art, you see how relevant it is in all these social movements. And looking back, these were really well-executed designs. For example, communism had posters that became iconic because of how well these images captured what they wanted to portray. How did you get inspired to produce propaganda art? And how has this influenced your designs? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think that the history of propaganda is it's almost as interesting as art history to me personally um just because it's a psychological phenomena and and people might not really understand exactly why those images were so effective but but there is some sort of a science to it um if you go back as far as um the early 1900s uh Gustave Le Bon is a, a French psychologist and he wrote a book that's called that's titled The Crowd. And um, in this book, he explains that when people are in groups, when they're in crowds, um, they have a completely different set of, of psychological characteristics than a, a, an individual has. And uh, what they found studying this is that the crowds are most influenced by images and words, right? So you think about it and like the governments, uh, more than anything, uh, they're employing words to, to cause change and to, to enforce uh, laws and, and everything. And also using words to, to get people, uh, words and images to get people to rally behind certain causes and things like that. So I do think uh, propaganda is more ubiquitous than, than most people realize. And, and I think that it's needed in all political systems and, and movements um, to unite people behind certain causes. I can think of one, which is uh, Pablo Picasso Guernica, which was really a bombing of, uh, of a town by Germany and Italy, right? So it's, and that was paid by the Spanish nationalist forces. It talks about war and the effects of the Spanish war, and everybody knows about that painting, right? So it's, that's an example of an implicit one. And then everybody knows about Rosie the River, which is not really Rosie the River, it's the We Can Do It, uh, J. Howard Miller's uh, poster, or t- just to give you one that's, I guess, more mainstream is the, the Che Guevara by Jim Fitzpatrick, right? So anti-Vietnam War protests, the FARC in Colombia, uh, Marxist-Leninist revolutionary guerrilla, the Ejército Zapatista in, in Mexico, the Colombian art conflict. So th- even one very iconic uh, Marxist Che Guevara has has transcended through the ages and through different movements. And I tell you, one of my friends has in his, in his left arm, and it's, it just speaks about the power of these images and how it gets really ingrained in society. 
Yeah, it, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, it's it's extremely effective. Um, and I want to say that it's probably a lot of it is due to that. It, it is more accessible than a lot of other forms of art, right? Because it takes a certain education and, and a certain, uh, I guess, eye to appreciate fine art. And the propaganda art just it gets put in front of more people and, and more people recognize it and more people uh, connect with it in general just because it's put in front of them. And it's designed with primary colors and, and words and things like that to really capture people's attention and, and can be more didactic where it tells people exactly what it means. Exactly. And and how does this apply to crypto? Because I can tell you, I talk to my friends, everybody knows me as, as the crazy cat lady within my group of friends. Everybody's like, okay, Javier's the, the crazy one. He's, he's been talking about this magic internet money. But like you've said, you you get onto your Uber, you already have your elevator pitch ready. But then instead of talking about crypto or Bitcoin, you leave a, a small uh, print and then you leave it on the back of the seat. And maybe that's more powerful to the next person that's uh, getting onto the Uber. So from your perspective, how propaganda art relate to what we're trying to do in crypto? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, along with the elevator pitches, I, I always give them out stickers. I'll, I'll give them some of my logos in and a nice vinyl sticker. So I do that. But I also, I put, uh, I put a lot of that around the city. So anyone living here has pretty much seen my stuff around the city. Um, and I think uh, to your question, it's... Uh, Using that same technique and uh, instead of using it, you know, as a tool for, you know, a certain government regime or, or something like that, it can be used to promote the causes of the, the crypto uh, movement. And, and it can be used to, I think, importantly, capture people's attention. Like if I can just get someone to be interested more in Bitcoin or, or Google it or learn more about it because they saw my image, then that's a big accomplishment for me. Um, but also within the artwork, I have a lot of like currency, the currency style art pieces that I create. A lot of them are, are putting information about Bitcoin and, and what it's based on, how it's, what type of governance model it has, how is it different than money, how is it different than gold, why is it better? Like all of that's in the artwork. So if someone looks at it, They're going to read all these things and hopefully they go to Google fact check it and reinforce it and, and learn more about it. So that's my take at it, um, both physical and, and digital, just to spread those images, get them in front of eyes, whatever format uh, it needs to be. And that is my propaganda to get people involved with Bitcoin and crypto. Right. And, and you have really intricate pieces. So for example, the Citadel piece or even the, the watches or there's one, I remember very vividly another one that's basically something more simple, but it says you don't need to buy a whole Bitcoin. And that's a conversation that I've had with a lot of my friends where they say, hey, man, it's really expensive. The, the time has passed. And then how you put it together with uh, an orange in pieces, you can say, hey, look at this analogy. Right. And, and that's an easier conversation. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Like, a lot of, you know, my thought process, my creative process does involve thinking about the outsiders because, you know, as much as I love the community who's great on Twitter and everything, you know, if I'm just making art for them, I'm not really going to impact 
that much, you know, maybe I'll sell more to collectors or something, you know, but I really like, I started this because I felt passionate about crypto. I want to get more people involved in, and I want to, you know, help them understand more. So when you think about that, what, what is one of the biggest points of resistance that people have, believe it or not, it's the price. It's like, oh no, I don't want to buy a fraction of something or, or I don't have $10,000 sitting around to buy a Bitcoin. So I guess, you know, it's too late, you know? So, so that's a lot of what you hear. So yeah, that was, that was my idea to combat them. Show, show them a slice of an orange and you can buy just one drop if you want it. Break it down to, to a Satoshi and all that, all that. I mean, you've seen the image, all that info is like right there on the image. Exactly. And super well executed, by the way. So congratulations on that specific piece. So Lucho, tell us about your influences. I can definitely see Shepard Ferry reflected in your designs. Aside from him, who else has influenced what you do? And why is it important to use some of these influences to later build your own style? Right, right. So let me start with uh, how I decided to, to use digital art as my medium. Like, why did I choose digital art? I, I mentioned earlier, I was, I sketched, I did, I did painting when I was a child. So um, as an alt adult when i when i approached that you know okay i want to start creating art again um i really felt as an adult uh 20 something years old at, at this point i'm thinking man you know what a laptop in my hands feels so much more natural than than a paintbrush right so i want to create something i'm so used to just whipping up spreadsheets and stuff like that so you know what let me try this digital art let's let's start doing illustration so, um, like I said, I took courses in, in Illustrator and one of the very first things I did because I, I loved Shepard Ferry's style and execution of his propaganda art so much was, was to actually use him literally as a model, um, trying to figure out how to replicate the type of visuals that he created, use it as a framework and fill that with my ideas and images. Right. So, so in my in this previous art project of mine, that's, that's what I did. Um, I started taking his images as a, a framework, taking my own ideas, my own images, and putting them inside that framework and just started publishing that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people love the stuff. A lot of people were like, Hey man, that, that looks so much like Shepard Perry's work. And it's like, yeah, you know, I got a lot of good, I, feedback, a lot of, you know, reactions, but at the end of the day, like no one, no one follows a cover band, you know, like no one goes to the concert of a cover band. Um, that's not an artist. That, that's like a group of people who play instruments, you know? So I was functioning more like a cover band artist type of thing. So I, uh, I didn't want that to be me. Um, but there's a lot of stuff of fairies that I still keep with me, uh, to this day. Um, I think that he employed a lot of broader strategies for, uh, developing his brand as both commercial art and, uh, fine art that can be taken from in a way that, Hey, you know, what he did, uh, was smart in a lot of ways. And a lot of that I can still use, uh, without, you know, using his uh, images as reference material or anything like that. Uh, choosing to name my project, for example, um, HODL Crypto, which is kind of a command. HODL is like a command um, to 
to hold your cryptocurrencies, right? And then crypto is the topic. So that um, using like emblems and icons and more importantly, uh, repeating certain things like there's ideas, uh, part of the, the philosophies for, for Bitcoin and crypto. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I use different words. I use different images. Sometimes people wouldn't even realize that I'm, I'm doing the same type of concept, but I do believe that to really um, drive certain ideas home, there's nothing wrong with trying to look for new ways to, to express them over and over and over again. So although you look at my body of work, you say, oh man, all that stuff is really different. In my mind, I'm just looking for different ways uh, to repeat the same stuff over, over and over again. And that, uh, that is kind of like phenomenology, uh, letting things manifest themselves. Um, you know, the more you repeat things and the, the more you go through iterations, you, you start improving them and making them more effective. And uh, I think Ferry did that very well. And uh, I take a lot of that from him. Um, aside from Ferry, uh, studied works of other artists, uh, Barbara Kruger, who was really excellent with uh, collages and, and using words, uh, text in her art. Uh, you know, Warhol, Basquiat, Kaz, who used uh, a lot of pop, pop culture imagery and, and used that uh, to make his me messages really pop out. Uh, Plastic Jesus, uh, some of the street artists uh, right. that I really like how they use iconic images and use them to draw a lot of attention to, to their ideas. So it took a lot from all those artists. Lucho, in terms of building a cohesive brand and then taking, following that process from starting out your projects and then evolving as an artist and as a person that's working in the space, uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, I personally, I've evolved my brand a bit. Um, I started out as Holo Crypto and that's, you know, I was Holo Crypto and I was my logo, you know, on my Instagram, on my Twitter. Um, there was never any photos of, of me as a person or any names associated with that. And uh, what I found early on, you know, first couple of interview articles. So I did some interview articles where they asked me my name, you know, and I thought, man, this is a weird like cross point, like a crossroads here. I have to either give them my name or make up a name or what am I going to do? You know, so so I decided to give them my name and I, I said, you know what? I did. I decided to go down this journey, devote my life, you know, to supporting the crypto movement with art. I'm going to tie my name to this. So that that's a personal decision that I made. Um, another reason that I did this is because just you know, you connect with a person more than you connect with an icon or, or you know, a brand name. You, you connect with the person as an artist more, I believe, personally. So, um, so I decided to do that. And, and in regards to a brand image uh, or having a consistent brand, I think all that is involved with eliminating confusion around your project. So... I think people understand more now that I'm an artist. And before I did that, you know, tied my name uh, and even put my image, you know, around my project, 
people, a lot of people, they assumed that I was an organization. They assumed that there was a team behind my Instagram and Twitter accounts. And they would say, well, yeah, what about the team? Oh, the team already did this or the team did that. And, and, you know, that confusion was confusion for me too. I was like, why are these people calling me a team? You know? So I, I think it was a good change for me, uh, starting to, to present myself more as an artist, as a human, um, and, you know, reduce confusion. And, and I think it helped people connect to me and, and begin to, to want to learn more about who I am as an artist and why I am doing uh, what I'm doing more than just like, hey, this is an art account and it's good. You know? Excellent. So, Lucho, walk me through the process of going from commercial artist to digital paintings. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, I think that this was, uh, I want to say a natural progression uh, for me to quantify it. Like, I would say that I put, you know, a lot of time into to get to where I'm at. Um, there's like this old magic number that a lot of people refer to. I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, refers to it in his book, Tipping Point. Um, that's like 10,000 hours, 10, hours uh, yeah. of practice, you know, so this Robert Greene, also one of my favorite authors as well, uh, a book called Mastery, he, he talks to this point a lot. And, and it's not a magical number, but it is like a tipping point where a lot of people achieve mastery uh, in whatever their craft is. So uh, over the past four years, I have not quite cracked that 10,000 number, but I actually honestly want to say I, I've reached about 9,000 hours uh, under my belt just designing within Illustrator. Uh, another thing is that I use only, I don't use any of the Adobe Suite for any of my images other than Illustrator. Uh, okay. No Photoshop. So, uh, one thing is that, you know, it takes a while. So, you, you have to develop a couple things. And one, I think, is a strong foundation, uh, graphic design and illustration. So you have to know how to put shapes and colors and different forms and structures and, and words and things like that together. Uh, you have to put it, you know, have that strong foundation of that skill. Um, and then beyond that, which might be even equally important is, uh, patience. So if you have, the patience of like a painter, uh, take the time to work on creating an image and create it correctly. You know, you think about the structure, you think about your design decisions early on and you do them the right way so you can build around them. You build on top of them. You start layering, um, on top of them and really filling out your ideas. You, you have an idea and the magic, what I've found, like some of these pieces, uh, of my art that are more detailed is is one of the common denominators that all these things have is the amount of time that I put into it. You know, you have an idea and you really evolve that idea and, and you just, you have more thoughts and that magic, that magic happens when you sit there and you look at it and you think, and you put more ideas into it and you say, Hey, you know what? I can put this here. And you know what? this can add to that there and, and you start adding more and more. And, and that's where that, that magic happens. Um, I think, you know, all those pieces have that in common and, and something else they have in common is that they were all created within the last year, you know, stuff that I've made earlier than that. I didn't have 
you know, some of the advanced techniques that I needed to learn. Um, I didn't have kind of like that storytelling within those images. And, and they all took at, you know, all those images, they take at least one week of work. You know, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. Maybe one takes two weeks or, or more, but, uh, you know, all those images take a lot of time and, uh, experimentation and, and patience. And, uh, I just, I really want to emphasize that I think patience and having like that lower time preference of, you know, I'm going to resist the temptation to stop doing this work, uh, take some kind of shortcut and just, you know, publish something half baked. And, and I'm going to go through the painstaking process of, of doing this and learning if I don't know how to do what I have in my head, I'm going to take a break from producing this art. I'm going to learn how to do what I need to do. And I'm going to finish producing this art the way that I need to produce. But just to recap what you've said, it's a matter of putting in the time to master your craft and have the foundation to be able to master the skill. Then once you're in control, it's a matter of executing your vision and then being able to do it in your own style. I see your work and immediately I can see that it's Lucia's work. So it's a matter of being able to maintain that stylistic constant. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, and I, I want to kind of like go into this a bit, is that having a co cohesive brand really, it really is important uh, for any brand. Uh, for artists more so, I, I think, in my opinion. But uh, in general... If your message, your purpose, you know, it's unclear, it changes or contradicts itself or, you know, you're, you're producing a lot of different type of stuff and, and you don't really, people don't understand the connection when they, when they look at your art, um, you know, no one's ever going to really know who you are. No one's ever going to look at your image and say, oh, look, that's him. Yeah, that has to be them, even though their name's not on it. You know, that's never going to happen, you know, so... Uh, I do think that um, artwork that is authentic, it, it should be recognizable by fans, whether it has your name on it or not. I also think that having a cohesive body of work, um, it can be really useful for an artist, not only for their brand and keeping that consistent, but because it's, it's great for you know, having multiple selling to collectors to display, you know, in an exhibition. Um, you know, if you want to tell a bigger story through multiple pieces um, than you're telling through one piece, that can be very effective. Um, but if if you don't have, you know, cohesive artwork, that's that's really not going to work. Very interesting. And I completely agree. Do you feel crypto art is dependent completely on the price of Bitcoin? And what do you think would benefit crypto art more? An exponential growth driven by the price or a more gradual growth? So uh, a more linear type of growth as opposed to exponential? Correct. A more linear type of growth. That's what I was trying to look for okay. uh, in, in terms of, yeah, in terms of how does it eventually help art if it goes that, that route? Yeah. So I, I think that linear growth i think either works right so if bitcoin grows exponentially i don't see how that could be bad for the crypto art market uh if it grows linearly perhaps it could be better for crypto art to develop in a way that's more controlled more natural less 
less scammy maybe. I, I mean, there's a lot of hype that comes. What, what I've noticed, at least uh, in my experience in the space, is that all these things that come after Bitcoin are all like, they all lag behind Bitcoin. So whether it's altcoins, whether it's some kind of other decentralized applications or, you know, the whole crypto kitties thing and, and crypto art, all that kind of blew up at a point where there was a speculative frenzy. And um, there's no denying that if people get greedy, you know, if, if prices start shooting up and people get greedy, they're looking for more and more speculative ways to invest their money. So art's going to be one of those things. So I don't really think it's going to be bad, but I do, I could see a, a whole lot less chaos and uh, healthier growth if, if, if it doesn't just shoot up overnight, you know, maybe a slower growth would actually be better to get, you know, more curation, get more experts in the space, get, get more people with more time in to really understand the subject matter better and create better content. Um, because I'll tell you, even myself, um, I want to say that I'm one of the more longer standing uh, artists in the space now producing a, a couple of years of, of crypto art here. But there's so much subject matter, you know, within the space and there's so much more understanding that even the artists can take on to create. Um, that I think that more time will only make better art in the space. So, so as long as we're growing, I don't, I don't see a problem. What do you think artists in the space need to do as they create their pieces, but also refine their message around crypto? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really depends on the artists, you know, style and, and their own personal objectives. I, I think that by my nature is, is to make my art more about uh, getting people involved, interested, informed, educated. Um, but I, I guess I would say that it's up to the artist the way that they want to, to do it. But any artist, you know, if you're, if you're working on getting into galleries, getting into physical art galleries, if you're putting it out online and you're, you're growing your social followings and, and make sure you're not just living in the echo chamber of crypto currency like the crypto community um everyone can do their part by by putting those images out there in the public domain and and just having conversations with people uh you know letting people react and and getting that feedback and kind of using that feedback using um a lot of the comments reactions um that they get use that to fuel your your art ideas like you you see someone reacting like negatively towards your post about cryptocurrencies or, or Bitcoin or, or you, you know, you have people that seem to get uh, write it off still. They, they write it off as some kind of a, a scam, a fad, tulip bulbs or whatever it is. I think that artists should use that skepticism. I think they should use people's resistance and kind of like channel that into breaking down that resistance into trying to reach exactly that person who doesn't want to see that message and um, just putting, putting it out there, putting it out there as much as they can, uh, getting as many eyeballs on the artwork, thinking about crypto, Bitcoin, and, and confronting the, the subject of using crypto. Why should I use crypto? 
you know right. I, I think i think they should be answering that question with their art more i wanted to ask you as a digital artist have you ventured into nfts i know we touched on this briefly offline but is the more organic use case for nfts to be coupled with the physical pieces where do you stand on this yeah um that's pretty much where I'm at is that I, I feel like my best use for NFTs will be in order to complement the physical pieces. Um, anytime that I'm releasing a limited edition, I think it would be a value add uh, for the authenticity of it and to have, you know, like a, a nice digital copy as long as well as the physical artwork. Uh, that would be a good application of the, the NFTs for me. Uh, the reason why I'm kind of on the sidelines on this for now is just because there's a lot of confusion in that space for me personally. I, I think that some artists have chosen platforms to, to join or have chosen you know one and stuck with it or are on all of them. I think some artists are on all of them as well. Uh, but for me, I, I want to feel like I'm committing to a good platform or I'm using the right protocol. Uh, I'm building in the right space and, and I'm not going to regret later down the road tokenizing all my art the wrong way. You know, so, so my hesitancy is there. Um, I'm not so sure that there's like a, a leader strong enough with kind of like a first mover advantage. Right. Um, who's really, you know, I'm confident in right now. So I am still observing. Uh, I think the time is running out to, to kind of get set up there. Uh, within the next few months or so, I want to have a decision made on that. But uh, yeah, I guess I'm on the sidelines still. I started with FanBits, RareBits, which is one of those platforms that popped up last year. And mm -hmm. uh, I stopped tokenizing my art. So I, I'm just kind of waiting to see how things pan out. So can you tell us what you're working on now? Is there anything in the work at the moment? I mean, I have, I have so many art projects, honestly, at Havo, that, you know, new currency pieces. I have multiple, like, large projects that sometimes, you know, I get to a point and I say, you know what, I'm not going to finish this one yet. You know, it's kind of like when you walk into a painter. I don't know if you've ever walked into a painter's studio and you see you know, many paintings in progress at the same time. Right. And, uh, you know, at some point it's time to finish it. And the idea comes like, oh, you know what? I'm going to use it on that one. So I have currency pieces in the works. Um, I have a new theme that I'm kind of going to be building on a lot, I think, that kind of um, focuses a lot on, on, I guess, the myth of Satoshi and uh, kind of depicting him in a lot of different ways. Um, so I have a lot of artwork that's in the works. Um, that watch series that, you know, the timepiece series that I have two, I have two pieces done there mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not finished with that series either. Uh, I have other pieces in the works there. So always stuff in the works. Um, there's, there's just so much to do. And, you know, if I had the time to do it all, <laughs> You know, I'd be pumping them out more and more, but, uh, you know, you can only make so much art in, in one day. You know? Agreed. So for the listeners who are new to your art, where can they find you, how they can get in touch and how can they buy one of your pieces? Right. So, um, luchopaletti.com, 
that's that's my website. So I have all my stuff on there. Um, also, links linksartcollection.com. I, I have some limited editions, uh, specifically on, on metal panels um, that I saw there. Um, I have on Twitter. I am Lucho Paletti at Lucho Paletti, and on Instagram at Hodel Crypto with no uh, no punctuations or anything like that. So that's uh, Instagram, probably the best place to find my gallery that you can scroll through and see pretty much my whole body of crypto art there. And then uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's probably more, a little more active on Twitter. Okay, excellent. And Lucho, thank you for stopping by. You're actually the first artist that I interviewed that I don't know personally, but Brecky and I have, have already talked about potentially going down to Guadalajara and then having some beers with you to change that. Oh, uh, that'd be awesome, man. I really want to thank you for taking on this episode. You're one of the well-established artists in the space that continues to come out with really exciting pieces. So I'm always looking forward to see what you come up with next. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Pablo. Seriously, I think, uh, like I said earlier, it's really great what you're doing here. Uh, I've seen, you know, quite a lineup of, of artists that you've interviewed so far and really great. I've listened to uh, every single one of those and a couple times couple times actually and uh look forward to to all the other artists you'll have on on curating crypto excellent great to hear thanks lucho appreciate it thanks Alvo. thank you for listening to this episode of curating crypto if you liked this episode please help us by sharing rating and subscribing you can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions.